0: Hello and welcome to the Investing on the Go podcast brought to you by Caliber. I'm Chris Sarley and today I'm here with John Bennett, manager of the elite-rated Janice Henderson European Focus Fund and European Selected Opportunities Fund. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today, John. My pleasure. Um, could I start by asking you just how you ended up working in the fund
1: management industry and what attracted you to managing European equities? Um, I would say quite an unorthodox route, I, I would say, into fund management um uh, because at the ripe old age of, of 16, I, um, in my economics class at school, we entered a, a, a national schools competition, investment competition, and we actually won it. And actually, believe it or not, that got me hooked on stocks. Uh, and then uh, I think uh, I was 21 when I entered the Observer newspaper investor of the year competition and I was runner up, or as we like to say in our house, you know, first among the losers. Um, and again, I just always had that, uh, that, that passion for stocks from a very young age. And so I gave up uh, what was a sort of seven-year, at that time, seven-year career in, in, in banking, retail banking, to become a trainee uh, in Edinburgh in investment management because you know from those early days I was very, very interested, passionately interested uh, in stocks in the market um, and, and as unorthodox as that is, that's, that's how I got into it. Um, given your 30
0: years plus experience of investing in European companies, um, what would be the one tip you'd give someone who's about to start investing in the region?
1: I would tell them you're not investing in Europe. You're not investing in Europe. You're not investing in European GDP. You're not investing in French politics. You're not investing in German politics. You're not investing in German GDP. You, you, you are if you're investing in just domestic sectors like banks etc I, I fully expect certain of those sectors like telecoms and banks to decline in their importance both in absolute and relative terms uh, within within the European uh, investable universe. The great thing about the European investable universe is it's broad and it's deep it's not confined to an index and within that index you do have Europe's past banking, telecoms, even some of the utilities, probably some of the big oil stocks. But the real gems in Europe uh, are there to be found. You don't actually have to dig that deep. Um, and how many times a year do
0: you visit Europe as part of your role? And you know, do you have a favourite city or country to visit?
1: I, I I tend not to visit the companies uh, at all. My team does, and you know, one of the teams out today, for example, in Scandinavia, seeing companies. I don't uh, personally. Uh, the team does. Uh, travel to see companies. Um, the great thing about uh, running a, a sizable book of business in European equities, and, and for long as we have done, is that we get visited and minimum twice a year I will see my holdings.
0: Uh, sentiment towards Europe has been dominated by Brexit and the fact that Germany and Italy have either been in or flirted with the recession. Um, how have these issues impacted your investment outlook?
1: Well, I don't. I, you know what, I don't ignore it. I certainly don't ignore it. Um, but I pay a fraction of the time, and I give a fraction of the sort of mental power to it or mental energy to it, uh, that a fraction of, of the, the, the media gives to it. It's very newsworthy, um, etc. And I'm not, I'm not belittling recession or anything. What we must remember is recession is a good thing. You get bargains. In the investment world, you get bargains during recession. I give one example. I don't think the U.S. stock market, the U.S. stock market, is anything like a bargain, because they've never had it so good. U.S. companies have never had it so good. The U.S. stock market has never had it so good. I think that's going to disappoint. The great thing about the negative narrative around Europe, whether that's politics or economics, is it has suppressed valuations. Um, so I'm actually quite excited when economies go into recession, because you get bargains.
0: Um, I understand you've been making some changes to your fund recently. Um, Could you talk me through what you've been doing
1: and why? Yes, it's it's absolutely nothing revolutionary. It's actually nothing new. It's just a further refinement. Um, And in a direction of travel that we've already been on, what is that? It's on a continuing reduction in the number of stocks. And the important thing is this. Broadly speaking, investors have... Two choices when they look at equity investment management and indeed fixed income investment management. Do you go passive index funds? Do you want to go active? What I think is the challenges on active um, are only greater today than they've ever been, partly because of the mushrooming of passive. I meet that challenge by saying we're true active. We're not 80 stocks, 70 stocks, 60 stocks investors now see our funds at 40 odds. Across the board, 40-ish stocks, 40-something stocks. Some of our funds will end up with less than 40 stocks if the clients ask us for that, some of our segregated funds. But our pooled vehicles, so Henderson European Focus or Janus Henderson European Focus or European Select Opportunities, investors shouldn't think of these as 50-plus stocks, 40-something stocks, and, and, and maybe we'll go below 40. Um, we want to be true active. And again, this is a refinement rather than a revolution. You've also recently said that you're, you're
0: never going to buy a bank again. Could you maybe explain why that is?
1: Yeah, that, that is that is actually a misquote because the first thing I've always said in investment is never say never. So uh, what I'm saying is I've spent a career structurally, systematically, systemically anti-banks. I've only ever seen them as trading chips where you might want to own them for months but not years. What I'm saying now is I don't even see, at the moment, I don't even see the trading opportunity in them. I've never considered them in proper investments with one or two exceptions. One or two exceptions. Now I'm saying I see no exceptions. I don't want to be exposed to the banking sector. One thing that would make me change my mind or or might make me change my mind is a return of inflation because that would affect the yield curve and therefore affect banks' profitability probably in a positive sense. I don't see that, and therefore I I don't see any need. For the moment, and for the time being, for the foreseeable future, I see no need to go anywhere near European banks.
0: Around a quarter of both funds are currently invested in consumer goods companies. Um, What types of companies are these, and why are you so
1: positive about them? Very broadly, that is split between consumer staples. And consumer discretionary. But like everything I'm doing, it's idiosyncratic. It's actually got nothing to do with the sector. It's not as though I love staples or I love discretionary. Not at all. It just so happens that they are in those sectors. So, for example, among our biggest within consumer staples is Carlsberg. That's not because we love the beer sector. So we're not in Carlsberg and ABNB and Heineken. It's not that. It's not a sector call. Consumer Staples is there because we like Movie, which is a salmon farming business. We like Carlsberg because of management action. We like Nestle. So three names get you there. Consumer Discretionary, well, what is that? Automotive components such as AutoLeaf, world leader in airbags uh, uh, for cars. Um, And and one or two other uh, areas exposed to, to the auto sector, namely... Specialty tire company, Nokia and Rencat. It's a specialty tire company. It's a winter tire specialist. So these are idiosyncratic specialist stock specific names rather than sector calls.
0: And where do you think the winners in Europe will come from over the
1: long term? I think it'll be broadly speaking, two main areas. We mustn't forget, amidst all of this, you know, Europe's the past. Asia's the future, Europe's the past, Silicon Valley's the future. Actually, I think a lot of Silicon Valley is on the cusp of disappointing. So you've got that, but you've got that narrative. Not all of Europe's the past. I think some of the things that Europe has been wonderful at for generations, it will continue to be wonderful at. Very important point. Science, design, luxury goods. I think Europe will remain in the vanguard of those sectors, of those industries. So broadly speaking, that's number one. Broadly speaking, number two is this. Um, Watch the response of those managements and in some cases the non-response of some management to disruption. So what you want to avoid are those management teams or those companies that are asleep at the wheel because we're all in the crosshairs of disruption, digital disruption, etc. So some management teams, the future will belong to so those management teams who embrace disruption, digital disruption, and get in front of it. And whether it's European or not European, there are probably too many management teams who are not getting in front of that. I think that is going to, has to be a key aspect of any investment strategy.
0: Thank you very much for your time, John. I'm Chris Sarley from Fond Calibre. Thank you very much for joining us.